So thank you for braving the winter weather out there today. Um, we have been in the season of Advent. We've been in the season of Christmas, but we've been focusing on the season of Advent. Uh, Advent just meaning something coming into being or, or an arrival. Um, the Advent season is a time for us to focus on and prepare ourselves for the observance of the day Jesus arrived on this earth in the form of a baby. He came into being in human form. So the church has always observed some form of preparation leading up to Christmas, at least for the past 1,500 years or so. Uh, it was always intended to help believers focus on the significance of the coming of Christ and to prepare their hearts in anticipation of the commemoration of the nativity. Uh, as a part of that structured time of preparation, the Advent wreath, which you see here right now, has been used as a teaching tool to give direction as to what should be focused on. So you have four candles um, circled with a um, ring of evergreen branch, peace, love, and joy. And they are lit one at a time every week leading up to the Christmas holiday. And then, of course, the white candle in the center representing Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, is lit on Christmas Day. I'm going to go ahead and observe this tradition and continue to light the candles. Hope, peace, oops. And now this week, love. I think that the special focus Advent brings to the Christmas season is really vital for us as believers. For the majority of us, except for maybe the retailers, the Christmas season begins the day after Thanksgiving. For the retailers, it begins in October, right? Maybe even September. Um, so what do many of us typically do the day after Thanksgiving to mark the beginning of the Christmas season? A couple common things come to mind. One is Black Friday shopping, right? And now, uh, for most of us, including in the this Elfline household anyways, there's a couple other Elfline households represented, um, the Christmas tree goes up, right? So a couple things to mark the beginning of the Christmas season, and those are, those are some of the main things. But from then on, we focus on buying gifts, wrapping gifts, Christmas decorations, Christmas movies, Christmas music, Rudolph, Frosty, Charlie Brown. We focus on Christmas cards, and we've got to get them mailed out in time. And some of us have to have family pictures taken and have, have them all uh, produced for us. One that was popular in my house when I was a child was making batches of Christmas cookies. And I'm the oldest of nine kids, so you can imagine what kind of chaos ensued. There was jimmies and sprinkles and frosting everywhere. But we loved it. There's contacting loved ones, making plans. Who's hosting Christmas? Who's cooking what? Whose house do we go to and on which day? How are we going to get there? And if you have children, they may be involved in a Christmas program or two. So we have practices, costumes, learning songs, learning lines. We've been listening to the same songs in the car for weeks and weeks now, right? <laughs> Going to the program. So we all have our annual Christmas season rituals, and, and they may be a slightly different for each and every one of us, but they all entail some combination of the things that I've mentioned. 
And all the while we proclaim, hey, I don't spell Christmas X-M-A-S. I want to keep Christ in Christmas. We can say I keep Christ in Christmas, but the truth is that the majority of our time, money, and energy goes elsewhere during the Christmas season, right? All these things that I've described are, are, are fun things. They're, they're not necessarily bad, but in the overall eternal scheme of things, I don't think that they matter much to God. So maybe during this season of Advent, uh, we could put a little more time and energy into what does matter to God. The Apostle John is going to tell us today about one thing in particular that matters to God. Uh, if you have your Bibles and like to follow along, I'm going to be reading 1 John chapter 4. That would be the letter of John, not the Gospel of John. We'll be reading uh, verses 7 to 11. So John, 1 John 4, 7 through 11 says, Beloved... Let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In, the, <clears throat> excuse me, in this love... Not that we, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John here admonished his audience that God loved them, so in turn they ought to love one another. Now if you notice, when we're reading this, John begins and ends this portion of scripture with kind of parallel or similar statements, right? He says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And then at the end, the bookend, the two bookends, um, he says again, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now these two statements, they communicate the same idea, although you'll notice a little slight change in tone um, between the first and the second. The first is more of an exhortation or an encouragement. Let us love one another. The second is more an imperative. There's a sense of obligation here. We also ought to love one another. So we're going to explore the why behind John's encouragement to love one another and why his tone kind of changes between the two bookends, the first statement and the second statement. First, um, the first part of John's argument um, for love is based on God's eternal nature. And again, if we go back to verse 7, he says, love is from God. And then in verse 8, he says, God is love, right? God's nature is love. Love is simply a part of who God is. It is his inherent character. It is a part of his basic constitution. He does not need to be taught to love. He does not need to be encouraged to love. He is the author of love. He is the source of love. Love originates in him, and all his ways and acts are love. John goes on to say, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So here's a basic law of nature, 
Organisms beget like organisms. And I'll put that into more plain uh, English. All living things produce offspring of the same kind, right? When I show people pictures of my sons, which I often like to do, um, they always want to give their opinion, right, as to which parent the son resembles the most, right? So at work or, or here at church or even my neighbors, they'll say, well, this one looks like you and that one looks like her or vice versa. He looks like her and he looks like him or I don't know who that one looks like. And I always say, well, maybe I better ask the mailman. Just kidding. Um, but they always, they always want to see, you know, facial features like eyes, nose, hair, all those types of things. And those are the clues that clue them into who uh, their parents are. And sometimes, uh, even at home, we like to, we have this little kind of game that Holly and I play that, uh, if, if our child does something amusing, or if our child does something funny, or strange, or naughty, that we like to turn to one another and say, he got that from you. And usually the truth is, mostly they get it from me. So anyone who is a child of God is a child of love. So if you're born of God, who is love, you should have inherited part of his nature, right? And that's where the fruit of the Spirit plays. God gives us his Holy Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. So therein, we inherit his Spirit, it lives, his Spirit lives within us, and manifests love, because we are like our Father in heaven. On the other hand, it stands to reason also that in verse 8, um, he says, the one who does not love does not know God. So, I find it funny, but in today's world, if your child doesn't resemble you, you may find yourself on, like, Maury Povich or one of those daytime talk shows waiting to see what the paternity test reveals. Because why? Because a child should always resemble the parent. A parent will always beget a child of the same kind or just like them. So John is saying that if we are child, children of God, we should resemble our father and we should love. And we should have love as part of our being. And any Christian who does not love cannot be a child of God. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34, By this all men will know that you are my disciples that you love one another, right? The second part of John's argument for love is based on God's ultimate expression of love, sending his son. That's what we're, that's what we're waiting to celebrate, right? That's what the Advent season is leading up to. In verse 9 he says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. Uh, one author, John R. W. Stott, wrote, While the origin of love is in the being of God, the manifestation of love is in the coming of Christ. This is what Advent is all about. Advent is about getting our eyes off of the commercialized holiday and focused on the coming of Christ. 
the manifestation of God's love toward mankind. Now, John does qualify why he considers the coming of Christ the apex of God's loving activity toward mankind. And the first, the first qualifier is what Jesus came to do. Verse 10, he says, He sent his Son to be the, be the propitiation for our sins, right? Some translations read, He sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, we know the importance of this sacrifice. All of us here today know the importance of this sacrifice and the gravity of the situation that we faced. Romans 3.23, we are all guilty of sin. Romans 6.23, the penalty of sin is death or eternal separation from our Heavenly Father. But then in verse 9, he mentions again, he sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. The sacrifice canceled the penalty of death. It atoned for our sin so that we might live through him. No more penalty of death. We can live through Jesus Christ because God sent him. Now, let us not forget that Jesus had to first come to earth, right, and become man so that his death could atone for our sins. We all know John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, as a father, I can't imagine how difficult this must have been. I was thinking about this, and I thought about uh, one day when Cohen came home from school. Cohen is, he is embarked in the world of 5K this, uh, this semester. So he's going to school basically almost all day, and for the first time he's taking the bus. And so one day Cohen comes home from school and he tells us about how uh, a, a certain kid was kind of bullying him on the bus. Now I have to admit, several emotions and thoughts ran through my head as to what should be done about this. But after I calmed down a bit... Um, we took a different action than what I was originally um, envisioning in my mind. I felt angry and frustrated, especially because this was his first experience on the bus, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, we are just getting into this, and he could possibly face a whole life of, you know, me sending him off into the world and him encountering bullying and just hate and anger Ultimately, we just called the bus company and they switched him to another bus. But for me as a father, I was not willing to send my son into that situation and allow him to be subject to bullying. So I hope the point is obvious here. The Bible says that God the Father gave his only begotten son to ultimately be put to death to pay the penalty to atone for our sin. So when we celebrate Christmas and Jesus coming and <clears throat> we're looking at scenes of majors and mangers and cute babies and swaddled and um, Mary and Joseph standing over him, just loving on him and uh, the shepherds and, and the three wise men or the kings, they're, 
surrounding the whole manger scene. Think of how almost a little cozy that scene might have been. We have to remember that at that same moment, at that same moment that Mary experienced the joy of giving birth to a son, there was a father in heaven who watched his son leave his home and come to earth where he would be put to death. The second reason for Jesus' coming is the ultimate expression of God's love, and it has to do with who Jesus came to die for. Jesus coming to earth was the ultimate expression, the manifestation of God's love. And we have to pay attention to who Jesus came to die for, right? In verse 10, John writes, In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son. John notes that we didn't love God first. God wasn't responding to our great love for him when he sent his son. Go flip over to Romans 5. You don't have to do that. I'll do that for you. But Romans 5 notes that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't do anything to deserve that. And by virtue of being sinners, according to Romans 5 verse 10, We made ourselves enemies of God. We were enemies of God. Now, you may think of enemy as, um, you know, uh, an enemy of war, but enemy really in its simplest terms just means one that's in opposition to another. And if we are sinning, we are in opposition to God. We put ourselves in that position. So the message is we should love one another and we should love like he loves us. And I think that this would be an appropriate time during Advent as a season to focus and prepare to examine ourselves to see if we are loving one another and if we love like he loved us. I believe that there's a, a false narrative that many of us have been taught that presents, prevents us from loving one another in a way that resembles how God loves us. You see, we may believe that love is a feeling, right? Love is a feeling that results from someone treating me well and making me feel good. So a couple of things that we might believe about love. Love is a feeling or an emotion. Another thing we might believe about love is I'm only required to love someone that loves me back and treats me the way I want to be treated. But I think this is how society, I think this is how man, how we like to define love. But that's not the kind of love that God had for us, is it? Remember, God loved us when we did not love him, while we were his enemies. And God's love was not based on emotion. It was based on action. He sent his son. I like how James Bryan Smith defines it. He defines love, the love, the word for love that is being used in this context as to will the good of another. To will the good of another. Seems very different from um, the 
emotional, joyous, um, gushing love that we envision, right? Caused by somebody first loving us. It's simply to will the good of another. And I like that definition because a lot of us, we take man's definition of love and we say, when God says, I'm to love my enemies, I don't know how to make myself feel love for somebody, especially somebody that doesn't love me first or love me back. And I think this really simplifies it. To will the good of another. And he goes on to say, we will their good and demonstrate it in action. We will their good. Even my enemies. I don't have to feel love toward them. I don't have to feel in love with them. But I do have to will their good. I will the good of my enemies. And part of that may just be that they have an encounter with God that transforms their lives. Maybe it's that uh, the will of their, to will their good means that I will that somehow our relationship is reconciled. Or that some communication is opened or some understanding is reached. Maybe that's part of willing their good. Jesus calls us to love as God loved. Amen? He calls us to love as God loved. Let me read out of Matthew chapter 5. And everybody is familiar with this portion of Scripture. At least you should be. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And if you listen closely to the the portion of Scripture that I'm going to read, you're going to hear a lot of these same concepts because God doesn't contradict himself, right? The Word of God is consistent from, from Genesis to Revelation. So I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. He says, You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In other words, that's man's definition, man's standard of love. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the, on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your Father, Heavenly Father is perfect. So notice a couple of things. I'm going to call attention to a couple of things that, that come out in that portion of Scripture. Jesus calls us to love even our enemies. Now remember, when God sent His Son, what was our relationship like with Him? We had made ourselves enemies with Him. And now God is telling us to love our enemies. Because we are supposed to resemble our Father. Our love should resemble His love. He also, in verse 45, states that we must demonstrate this kind of love in order to be children of God, right? So all this is consistent. And then he asks a series of rhetorical questions in verses 46 through 48. 
And really, the point of these questions is to illustrate that loving only those who love you back is the standard of Gentiles and tax collectors. And that's really his way of saying unbelievers. So if we only love those who love us back, we are following the same standard of love as unbelievers. We're not following God's standard of love. I think there are many takeaways that we can take from this to apply during the Advent season. I think the first one that came to me was that anyone who feels lonely and unloved this holiday season, I would encourage you not to forget or to discount God's love for you. And I think that during the Advent season or the Christmas season or the holiday season, whatever you want to call it, some of these things really bubble up to the surface. And one of the things is, is um, people who find themselves feeling unloved and feeling lonely. Because what? The holiday seasons are all about family, right? And loved ones and gathering together and celebrating these moments together. And so there are people who find themselves feeling lonely and unloved during this season. I would encourage you not to forget or discount God's love for you if that's you. He loved you despite your imperfections, right? He loved you even when you were at odds with him. According to our standard, man's standard, he should have hated you. But instead, he gave his son for you. That's God's love. God's love is more perfect than any love that you can receive from another human being. Now, the enemy, if, if you find yourself in that situation, the enemy is going to try to convince you of two things here. He's going to try and convince you that human love and fellowship are needs that God should have taken care of. And God doesn't love you because it doesn't appear that he is doing anything to fill that need. Now, notice I accented appear because God knows what we need. But the enemy is going to try and convince you that God doesn't care about you because you're alone for the holidays. Don't believe that. It's a lie. The enemy is also going to try and convince you that God's love is not the same as human love. I, yeah, I, I have God's love, but I also want human love. I want human companionship. And therefore, God's love won't be able to fill that void that you feel. It's a lie. Don't believe it. I've experienced that God's love can fill you to overflowing and give you peace. Another takeaway from this scripture that I I hope that we can apply during the Advent season is that we need to love as God loves, especially during this holiday season. Again, as we watch Christmas movies and singing Christmas songs and get Christmas cards. We see images of families and loved ones gathered together. But let us love as God loves during this holiday season. Because we all know about family dynamics. And sometimes the holiday season can bring out the best in that. And sometimes the holiday season can bring the worst in that. Right? But let us not... Just love those who love us. 
Let us not love according to our feelings. We may not feel like loving people. We may just be burnt out from all the preparations of the holiday season, and we may not feel like loving. Love anyway. Let us act in love. Let us put our love into actions. And let us not just love those who we are supposed to love or those we think deserve our love. Let us love without discrimination. Now, I would say that perhaps God is going to challenge you on this. God's going to challenge you to love as he loves by possibly reaching out to someone in need. The holiday, the winter season has a way of exposing many types of needs, right? Maybe it is a person who is alone. Maybe God's going to challenge you to minister or spend some time with that person or people. People also have financial needs, physical needs. All these things come bubbling to the surface during the holiday Christmas season, right? Maybe it's somebody who couldn't get to church because they didn't have a shovel or a plow or a snowblower. Maybe you just need to go dig them out. Let us love without discrimination. And let us reach out to someone in need. Yeah, it's it's easy and it's easy to give. And giving, I'm not going to discount giving. But giving doesn't really, it necessitates a financial sacrifice. But God's talking about action, acting in love. Now, finances, it's good to give finances, but I would say that um, something even more meaningful is physically going and acting in love towards somebody in a way that's tangible, in a way that they can see, in a way that really touches them. God might challenge you to love as he loves by acting in love toward an enemy or enemies. Maybe you are at odds with a spouse or a loved one. Or a boss or a co-worker. Maybe you're just fed up with people who oppose your faith or physical or, excuse me, political beliefs. I know there's a lot of that going on right now. A lot of enemies were created during this last election. So I don't even go on Facebook anymore. Probably why a lot of us avoid Facebook. There's a lot of hate there over political beliefs. Maybe we need to act in love towards those people. Maybe God may call you to act in love towards an enemy who is a Bears or Vikings fan. I love you too. Maybe we need to act in love toward our enemies. And only know, you know who that is, but I believe that for some of us, the Holy Spirit is probably even speaking to us right now, putting somebody on our heart saying, you really need to act in love toward that person. You don't have to wait until they change. You don't have to wait until they love you first. You need to act in love toward that person because that's what God did toward us. That's what God demonstrated toward us. 
And if we are his children, we have to be like him. I would say the third takeaway is focus on God and the manifestation of his love that is the coming of Christ. Don't watch all 15 Christmas movies that you have in your cupboard or whatever. Maybe only watch five or ten of them. Pick your absolute faves and leave the rest in there. Be intentional in your own home. And focus on the real reason for the season. Amen? These are not just catchphrases. At least they shouldn't be. Keeping Christ in Christmas. The reason for the season. Let's not just focus on God on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and maybe the Sundays leading up to it. Let's get intentional. And right here I'll put a shameless plug in for the faith-filled holidays packet at Home Points. A lot of great ideas and helpful tools to help us be intentional at home. But let's, let's get serious about it. Let's not, let's not make these cliches. I'm going to keep Christ in Christmas. He's the real reason for the season. Let's let him be the reason for the season. And let's get intentional about focusing on God a little bit more and gifts a little bit less. God is love, and his children should love as he loves. Amen? So, I want to read one last quote by F.F. Bruce, and he says, God bestows his blessings without discrimination. The followers of Jesus are children of God, and they should manifest the family likeness by doing good to all, even those who deserve the opposite. So I just want us to take a, a moment here because I believe that as I, I read some of these takeaways that God was speaking to some of your hearts. I believe that for some of us in this place, um, God is telling you, don't worry about being alone. Don't worry about your desire for companionship. Just focus on my love and trust me. And believe me, my love is more than enough for you. It, you. it will fill you up to overflowing. So maybe you just need to let go of some of the hurt of being alone and uh, some of the pain you feel and give it to God and let God's love come into your life and come into your heart and just blanket over you. And surround you this holiday season. Maybe it's that God is challenging you to love somebody. Maybe that doesn't deserve to be loved. Maybe it's an enemy. Maybe it's somebody that you're at odds with. Maybe it's somebody that you might, <clears throat> excuse me, might see at a family gathering coming up in the not too distant future. And the anger maybe that you feel or the hurt or the bitterness... Or maybe just the dread of facing that person. Maybe we need to just lay that at the altar and say, God, I want to will the good of that person. Help me set aside what I feel and help me act in love toward that person 
during this holiday season. Maybe that's you. Or maybe God is just speaking to you and saying, you're caught up in all these fun things and that's great, but don't forget the real reason for this season. Don't get caught up in the cookies and the plans and the wrapping and the, and the trees. Focus on me. And you will have a blessed holiday season. What I'd like to do is just take a moment and let's just, let's just all close ourselves in with God. I believe that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to some people already, but give God an opportunity to speak to you and reveal to you how he would like you to manifest his love towards others this holiday season. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Lord, I just want to thank you. Thank you for this God, stirred something in me. Lord, we all can get caught up in this season that, you know, is supposed to be marked by time of love and family and closeness with others, oh Lord God. But maybe I've been focused on the wrong kind of love. I've been focused on man's idea of love that stirs emotions. I've been focused on receiving love more than giving love. Lord, you know where we're all at. And God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just guide us through this Advent season. That Advent, leading up to Christmas, the coming of Christ, would be a time where you would redefine love within us. So that we can truly call ourselves sons and daughters of God. Because we have that same love, your love, residing within us. And that love stirs us to action. Lord, let us feel secure in your love this holiday season. As you gave your Son... Let us remember what a sacrifice that is. As we look at images of babies in a manger, God, let us remember the significance behind why Jesus came, why he became a man, and that you sent him willingly to die for your enemies. And Lord, let us just be intentional about the season. Lord, it it feels like the way we celebrate the holidays right now, we can get so easily wrapped up and swept away in stuff. Lord, let us focus on you during this holiday season. And God, I believe that if we do these things, O Lord, that we're going to experience your love 
in a new way that's just going to excite us, recharge us, and, and just get us through this holiday season. So God, I thank you and I praise you for your love for us. The real reason for this season. God, I pray you bless each and every person here today, oh Lord God. And as they walk out these doors, I pray that you just continue to minister to them in a way that, uh, that they need it. And Lord, I just thank you for what you're going to do uh, throughout this holiday season, through this Advent season. I give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray.